Booster is excited to support DIA Schools Collaborative on furthering the missions of our respective organizations through Follow to Lead podcast and other DIA programming. Visit ChooseBooster.com for details on Booster's school fundraising events, technology, and customized spirit gear. Booster can help your Catholic school meet and exceed its fundraising goals. Learn more today. Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice, to call us, to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of, of Catholic education as we explore what it means to follow God in order to lead others to him. I'm Kyle Pietrantonio, your co-host. And I'm Father Randy Sly. And hey, Kyle, before we actually get to our guest today, I want to mention that I just was notified that our last episode was our 50th program of Follow to Lead. So uh, I'm just amazed that we've put together 50 programs so far in our podcast series. What an awesome milestone, Father Randy, and kudos to you and for all of your energy uh, behind this. Uh, it was your brainchild, and I love that it's come to this um, milestone, and uh, and it's been a pleasure doing it with you. Well, it's been fun, and I'm looking forward to 50 and 100 more as we keep on going. So today, we're going to be talking with Chris Carneal, the uh, founder of Booster, and Booster offers school fundraising services nationwide with ever-expanding options such as school fun runs, fundraising technology, spirit gear, and more. And Chris was our guest last April, and we're thrilled to have him back again. And Booster is, in fact, a partner with the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative, and it's changing the ideas about fundraising in schools across the country. They combine the magic of big events with uh, the value of life lessons, giving students a week of fun they'll always remember. And in the last 20 years, Booster has helped more than 6,400 schools profit more than $500 million. Hey, Chris, welcome back to Follow to Lead. Father Randy, Kyle, thank you very much. I appreciate the intro. I can't believe it's been a year since we were last together. It's been a busy year for all of us. Indeed. Well, Chris, even though you've been a guest previously on, on Follow to Lead, we'll invariably have uh, new listeners uh, uh, to our episode today and would love just to start with a bit of, about your background and, and how you got to get Booster off the ground. Sure. Well, I'm honored to be here. Uh, to your listeners, thank you for a little bit of your time. There's a growing number of podcasts, but you've chosen the right one. This is incredible content from incredible leaders with a heart to serve and love others, ultimately to make a difference in the world, and that's that's why we're here. So uh, just a reminder, and all the things we're learning, of course, we can't do it without the, the help of the Spirit, 
Uh, and ultimately, whenever we, we hear great content, we know the true source of that content and truth and, and ultimate wisdom. So uh, if I say anything that sounds wise, it's either coming from the Lord or from, from someone else that I've learned from. Uh, <laughs> we're all on a different journey, uh, but it's fun to do it together in pursuit of something bigger than ourselves. That's what I remind myself of daily, that um, I get to live an adventure that I get to be part of. I might have created it from human perspective, but I certainly did not create the grand adventure. Uh, I just get to uh, to play a part, and, and what an honor it is to do so, and to to meet like-minded leaders like you, to learn from and uh, be challenged by. So, to the listeners and to you, thanks. Thank you for your time. Twenty-one years ago, I was a college senior at Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. I originally grew up in South Florida. Uh, I was a religion major, believe it or not, and then even later after college, I went to seminary in Kentucky. I thought I was going to uh, plant a church or start a church. Uh, that was my idea of a way to scratch the entrepreneurial itch and the missional desire uh, to make a difference and to change the world. And at, at the time, uh, that dichotomy of do I need to work for a nonprofit uh, in order to to change the world, to fulfill my calling? Uh, I thought that was the only way to do it. At the same time, I had this yearning desire in my heart and soul, a passion uh, to start things. And uh, I saw entrepreneurial businesses and friends doing things. And that those seemed at odds to, towards one another. And it took me a few years, honestly, to realize I could start a for-profit business that actually served nonprofit schools, uh, but, but our business could be missional. It didn't have to necessarily be through a church or a nonprofit that I got to live out my missional calling. And that took me a few years. I think, I think the language around that whole conversation has changed greatly in the last two decades. Uh, praise God that people are seeing, uh, really recovering the idea that all, all of life can be done in pursuit of excellence and kingdom endeavors and in love of our community and one another, regardless of our vocational calling. Uh, regardless of our if our paycheck is for a, from a for-profit or a non-profit, if we sell insurance, if we work for a school, if we work at a church, if we're an attorney, uh, whatever we do, I think it was A.W. Tozer that said, um, but regarding the concept of sacred versus secular, it's not what we do, it's why we do it. Exactly. So, Inspecting our motives and why are we truly doing what we're doing is what matters most. So, uh, that was a little bit of my preamble. Uh, I'll be quick. And the idea originally came uh, from me doing one-on-one -on -one sports lessons with students and students offering magazine sale fundraisers as the pretty much only option 25 years ago uh, where schools could raise funds. And I remember that my school, when I was in elementary, through my dad's leadership of our booster club and volunteering greatly at our school, helped organize with the athletic department, with the PE coaches, a fitness fun run. And I participated in that fitness fun run as a kid. Uh, so I called my dad after that baseball lesson I was giving and said, Dad, I, I don't understand why this school is selling magazines. Aren't there fun runs? And he said, Everyone, a lot of schools do fun runs. We did it. But you know what? I got an idea for you. Uh, there's not an organization that can organize fun runs, fitness events for the purpose of fundraising on behalf of schools. You should just see if anyone would want to hire you to do it. So I did and went around to school after school. Again, I was a college student. At the time, I was 21 years old. I had never really done it before. And I was asking schools, I now look back in the rear mirror, I was asking 
and administrators, educators, volunteers, heads of school, hey, trust me, the 21-year-old college student, with your kids and your money. (laughs) So uh, finally, literally on the 50th attempt uh, in conversation, a school said, all right, let's do it. We'll give you a shot. We need to raise three thousand dollars, but here's the here's the caveat: we need we really need this three thousand dollars, and we need you to guarantee it. If we're going to take a chance and cancel our uh, car washes and cookie sales, we need you to guarantee it. So I said, of course, I, be- I believed it could happen. <laughs> what I was guaranteeing at the time was my honeymoon money. I've now been married for twenty one years, <laughs> uh, and I was guaranteeing the honeymoon money. <laughs> it went off great. We certainly had some challenges, but the school profited twenty one thousand dollars. And that concept is still, to a much greater degree, the concept that we still use today, which is basically donors give pledges or donations for the number of laps or activities that a student does, uh, and then we give the majority of the money to the school, and we organize uh, the work, the event, the communications on behalf of the school and for the school. So it's evolved greatly. We teach character lessons. We now have a high school division. We actually now have a, a... some products that we sell as well to complement the donation piece of the business. But the heart of what we do, allowing educators to educate, my mom was a college professor for years, mm-hmm. and had, uh, elementary teachers primarily that were her students. So just seeing the amount of time that teachers put in to things other than education, a big pillar behind the program is how can we take some of the non-educational uh, activities and time off the plates of educators, giving them back more time to do what they're, of course, the best in the world at doing. So that's a little bit of the origin story. Chris, if that 50th school was an absolute flop or failure, would you have persisted on? And at what point would you have just thrown in the towel and said, you know what, I'm going to try something different or God's calling me to a different path? Kyle, I get asked that question often. I think my answer changes often depending on uh, the way I perceive it. You know, in God's plan, this was to be. But man, I think I was running out of time. This was April of my senior year of college, and I was about to graduate in six weeks, get married, go on my honeymoon, get ordained, and move to Kentucky for seminary. So uh, I don't know if I would have had another shot. Now, I'll bet the idea would have still rattled around in my head a little bit. But, you know, you change that much in life in a, in a season. Uh, who knows if it ever would have happened again. So it, it might have been the last chance. But maybe that was the Lord giving me um, patience and persistence uh, to, and, and then giving me the last chance for, for it to happen. So, But to all the entrepreneurs out there that have an idea, if you believe it in your soul that it's possible, then just keep going for it. It's, it's really, really thrilling and fulfilling to be able to take something in your head and bring it to life. I mean, it's just one of the most exhilarating uh, things possible, whether it's a podcast, a business, a fundraising company, a book, uh, to start something that's in your head and see it happen is, uh, in, in my, in my, from my vantage point, it's, um, it's a Mago day. It's, a, it's God creating out of nothing in some ways. And as his children, he gives us the opportunity to do that as well. Now, we're not creating truly out of nothing. We're creating out of his creation, but that, that cultivation and co-creation aspect of of his nature is uh, is exciting for me. It's awesome. I, I can see a third podcast coming out of this, uh, Chris. You know, the one we're going to really talk about today came out of the last one. I can see us talking about um, the spirit of entrepreneurship and uh, students identifying that spirit in them sometime. It would be a, a great podcast. Creativity. And every one of us, we are made to be creative in fact, it's the first thing we learn about 
the Lord in Genesis that God created. If, if, if it all stopped there, we would know that he was a creative God. And I used to not think of myself as creative because I'm not artistic. And so I think we, divine, we yeah. define creativity too narrowly, but mm-hmm. every one of us are creative and we could talk about that for sure at a later date. Yeah. Well, your canvas is business, you know, and you've painted this beautiful picture of of a company that is just making a difference in so many schools. And we're excited about that. And in fact, I wanted to mention to the audience that uh, if you really want to know more and do a deep dive into Booster, that uh, it was program 31, episode 31, which was syndicated on April 22nd of last year. And, and these are all available, of course, uh, in your podcast platforms. You can go and look for this episode on Booster and find out in a lot of detail all of the good things uh, that uh, have been taking place in Booster over the years. Now, what I really want to ask you uh, before we get into our main subject, Chris, is uh, what's new in the world of Booster? What's what's new since our last program? Wow, a lot. The world's <laughs> changed. Um, it's been a challenging year and a year of opportunity. I feel often that threats and opportunities go hand in hand, and it's up to us to uh, to view challenges in the right light, not blindly, of course. There's, so it's, it's been a challenging year for everybody. Uh, I expect educators to feel the same way, hiring, training, talent, people. Uh, where are they? How do I equip them? How do I motivate them? What's the best culture? How do we pay them accordingly? So it's, it's been a challenging year from supply chain of stuff to supply chain of people and talent uh, has been um, an, an exceptional year. We've had two, uh, from our perspective, two very exciting things happen since we last spoke that have really never happened before, and I don't know if they'll happen again in the near future. Our first ever acquisition of a company after 20 years and our first ever true partnership with an organization. Uh, I'll talk about the first one very briefly. Uh, There's an incredible organization out of South Carolina. We're headquartered in Georgia, but we serve schools in all 50 states. Uh, and they did primarily high school fundraising for about 15 years. And the founder and I became friends. Uh, a, a One of our former teamers went to work with him. We didn't really compete because we were primarily K-8. through They were primarily high school. Uh, we had heard of them, but we, weren't, uh, we didn't view each other really as, as competition. So he said, you guys have got to get together for lunch. There's got to be a way to help each other. And we finished that first lunch just over a year ago. And said, let's let's pray about this and talk about this more because there's something here. I, I like you. I like your culture. We value the same things. We hope to treat our people with care, respect, dignity. We want to make a difference in the world. We want to use our platform of fundraising businesses for the good of society. Uh, let's talk again. And over the course of a few months, we continued to talk. And uh, they were smaller than us, so it just made sense for us to partner together and for us to acquire them. So now... Mm-hmm. We've hired about 20 people since then to grow the high school division. Uh, a lot of things are very similar, uh, and then a lot of things are very different. The kindergartners and high school seniors are very different in how they're yep. motivated. Yeah. We're integrating our tech platforms. We're integrating our systems. We feel like it's a way that we can just serve more people, expand the business, give opportunity to our team, and at the same time, serve serve more schools. So, for example, what we look forward to, we're not there yet. The acquisition was just completed six months ago. Our, our first strategy was just learn from one another. Let's not tinker too much. They're doing a great thing. We're doing a great thing. Let's just learn from one another. But we look forward to the day that a kindergarten student can go all the way through high school graduation and through different types of fundraising events 
we can help cultivate a donor base for that student and for the schools they attend and activities they pursue. Uh, starting with a school-wide fundraiser in K-5, and maybe it's the volleyball or the band in middle school, or it's the football team uh, in high school, and, and kind of walk them through the whole process. So we're, we're really, really excited. In a sense, from a business perspective, it doubles our market and opportunity, and from an impact perspective, it, it doubles that as well. So that, that's number one. The second is um, your audience is either going to have no idea what I'm talking about or they're going to say, wow, that's exciting. About three quarters <laughs> of the audience uh, knows the brand, the uh, YouTube video trick shot experts sensation, yep. Dude Perfect. Yeah. Dude Perfect is it's five athletes out of Texas uh, and they are the second most followed YouTube channel. If you have kids that are in elementary, middle school age, they've probably heard of them. Uh, they are. <laughs> Extremely wholesome, extremely family fun, safe. It's very tough to find content these days that is family safe for the whole family, engaging for parents and kindergartners, boys and girls, mom and dad. Uh, and they do these goofy, fun trick shot, and, it, and it's evolved into all kinds of, uh, of fun things. So we, we signed and finalized a partnership, an exclusive partnership. From the only, we're the only organization that's in the school space or the fundraising space that, that works with them. Uh, and we flew to Dallas to their headquarters back in November. We filmed 50 custom videos. Uh, so next year's program, starting in the fall, will have a really fun dude perfect emphasis. The student can upload a oh. picture of them in a trick shot video. It'll look like they're shooting basketballs with dude perfect and throwing footballs. Uh, some of the rewards that can be won are fitness-based with the Do Perfect logo, and it's a, a basketball goal you can use for trick shots. So we thought, how do we make the program just fun, community-based, uh, exciting, not feel like a fundraiser, but kind of get back to the roots of just fun? We were originally funrun.com, uh, so how do we make it fun? And so we just said, let's, let's partner with the most fun organization that also fits our values, and let's, uh, let's give that value to our clients as well. So really excited. Wow. <laughs> that, that's that going to be exciting, Chris. My yeah. kids are going to be. I think Kyle froze. I think he's frozen. Um, yeah, about the possibility. Oh. Here Is we it go. Better now. We yeah, got you. You're back. Yeah. Okay. I was saying, Chris, my kids are are going to be thrilled to hear about this every Saturday morning. They'll watch, you know, a half hour or so together of Dude Perfect, just glued, you know, to the screen. Um, what an awesome uh, kind of partnership uh, to to have for Booster. Really aligns well with you all, and um, it's going to be great to see how you leverage that. Yeah. Thank you. Hopefully, our clients will benefit, and students will uh, will really enjoy it. Yeah, those those videos are addictive. They really are. You watch one and you just keep watching more. So if you're just listening to this podcast and you have no idea what we're talking about, just Google "Dude Perfect" and watch one video today, and yeah. you'll be hooked. It's, it's yeah. a incredible group of of. Uh, and, and they're such quality individuals too. That was the thing that really impressed me. Those guys are really good. They really are. Well, I think let's move into our uh, main topic for today. We really uh, want to talk about building a staff culture. And maybe, Chris, to begin with, could you help us to understand what do we mean by building a staff culture? Sure. Well, believe it or not, you have a staff culture, whether it's by design or default. 
it already exists. Cultures are built by design or default, intentionally or unintentionally. So uh, your staff culture exists. So good news, you don't have to create it out of thin air, but bad news, it's probably not exactly like you want it. But good news again, we get to impact and change it if we lean into it and enhance it. So it really starts with a conversation. How much is the culture we have like the culture we want? And that's a fun, that could be a, a, a day process, a lunch, or a six-month process. Let's dream big. Let's invite people into the conversation. We know that people become like the conversations that surround them. People usually grow into the conversations that you introduce to them and that you create for them. So let's introduce a conversation around culture. Hey, we know we're good at some things. We know we're not good at some things. We're probably unaware of some things. So let's discuss. And whatever that looks like for your context is a great way to begin. Let's have a lunch once a month to talk about culture. Let's go away uh, on a retreat for three days to talk about culture. Let's this summer, once the dust is settled and we have a little bit of, of a break, uh, let's spend the first hour of every day talking about the culture we have versus the culture we want. It is It exists by default. How can we design it to be more fill in the blank. And what you fill in the blank with is really your values or virtues or purpose of your organization. To be more caring, to be more missional, to be more excellent. Uh, you sense something in your culture, you sense potential, uh, but the calling out of that potential, the flourishing of that potential is ultimately the ideal culture that we can create. And no culture is perfect, uh, and culture is always dynamic and changing, right? When I feel like I've got the culture right where we want it, we acquire a company, or we expand to a new area, or we decide to grow some more, or our team members that are existing have been with us for a while, they're growing, and they have new needs and desires and aspirations, and uh, or their stage of life is growing, and we just need to keep addressing new ways to enhance our culture. So I love culture. It's one of my favorite things to talk about, to learn about. I love watching uh, organizational cultures develop, and ultimately, uh, you know, Pat Lincioni wrote a great book, um, called The Advantage, and it talks about building healthy cultures. And I think that's just a great word to think about, healthy. That, that's, we want it to be all of these things, but at the end of the day, all the things we want it to be, the adjectives that we aspire to be, they usually come out of a place of health. So how do we create health, diagnose lack of health, and then create some systems and structure and, and ideals for us to grow together into a more healthy culture? A big Pat Lencioni fan. Uh, Chris and Table Group's done work with some of our DIA schools and actually just recently facilitated the board retreat for DIA earlier this month. So, um, yeah, just awesome. they do awesome work in this space. Yes, they do. That's great. And um, want to kind of talk about like hiring for mission, right? So uh, we, you talked earlier about a little bit of a war on talent um, that we're seeing just uh, on a crazy scale right now in K-12 education, both at the teacher and at the leader level. And um, it's a bit worrisome because I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a new normal. Um, you know, how do you attract mission congruent talent so that you can kind of start in a later inning once they're there with you? And then the second part is like, how do you onboard? What are some best practices? Wow. Well, great questions. Well, if you're listening to this, and you feel like, uh, I don't know what you feel, uh, stress or anxiety or challenge or uh, maybe hopeless, 
that it's just been a rough season and that uh, it's not going to snap back to normal. That's okay. I think everyone wrestles with this. In fact, if you're not wrestling with it, you probably haven't set your sights or ideals high enough that we do want exceptional talent that's missionally aligned, that shares our values. So the restlessness you might feel is is probably a, a yearning for a greater desire of excellence and missional alignment. So we feel it. I don't know any organization that aspires to be great that does not feel it. Everybody feels it. And I feel like the last 18 months, it's just, it's, uh, it's turned up the volume, the heat to the next level. And it's challenging. And I don't, demographically, I don't know if it's going back. I don't know just with the number of people at each age group in the pipeline and the number of jobs that are needed, we might be here for a little bit. So the sooner we get our head around, uh, the new reality, I think, the better. Confront the brutal facts that um, it seem to be less talented, initially lined uh, people that exist than used to. Okay, well, for our organization, how do we attract them? Yep. I think a word that always stands out to me is uniqueness. People are drawn to something that's unique. When we try to look like everybody else, um, we just get mediocrity and, and um, we get m mediocre talents. No, doesn't speak for the character of the individuals or the unique, the, the worth of the individuals, but we want exceptional talent, don't we? We want the best, excellent, intentional, values, virtuous leaders we can find. So there needs to be something unique. And usually what's unique and compelling is something that we already recognize that's unique about us, but sometimes we're blind to because we're living in our own bubble. So sometimes having an outsider that knows us a little bit, a consultant, a board member, a friend, a client, hey, what are the three or four things that make our organization unique? I think getting clear on our uniqueness, and it's amazing, whenever we've asked these questions, people will point out stuff to us that I think, really, that's still that's still a thing. That's still unique. I, I, I don't know. I'm living in the fishbowl, so sometimes I can't see it, and I need to be reminded. C.S. Lewis says people need to be reminded more often than instructed. I think we need to be reminded of who we are, what is our identity, what are our unique uh, right. abilities as an organization. So I think I would start with that. Um, I mean, I have team members say, I just love the Boosters, a learning organization. You always have your notebooks, and you're taking notes. I think, well, that's great. That's that's table stakes, but it is good to be reminded that that's something that's unique about us. Um, so then we would highlight that. Hey, we're a, we're a learning organization. Leader development is core to who we are. We hope you're here for 10 years, but let's just talk about the next 10 months. Who do you hope to be in 10 months, in, in a year from now? Or let's just say three years from now, what are your dreams and hopes and who do you hope to become? Whenever we flip the script to tell me about you and who do you hope to become, and we listen, and in a sense it's, recruiting, selecting, really combines the two things I'm passionate about and love, sales and people. And a, a good sales meeting of sorts is more consultative. You know, the mm -hmm. old school sales was, here's the content, cheesy, inauthentic. I feel like a, a good sales meeting is, well, tell me about your organization and what are your right. needs? Let me see if we have the ability mm -hmm. to those needs. We'll leave that up to you. And that's what we try to do with talent selection as well. Uh, here's who we are. We'll be very distinctive. But first, tell us about you. And usually there's something in that two-minute uh, recap when a, someone describes themselves and their passions or their what they're excited about, their vision for their preferred future, whether it's physical fitness or serving others or uh, a component that relates to community involvement or that we usually say, that's what we do. You'd be a great fit because... We want to change the world. We want to make a difference. We we love 
uh, health, emotionally, physically, uh, financially, spiritually. So uh, when I'm listening to those I'm interviewing, then it gives me opportunity to know truly who they are and then present back, here's what our organization does uh, in your unique uh, giftedness. So that, that would be one. Number two, we have a bunch of different events globally and locally once or twice a year for the entire organization, but a lot more frequent on a local level, a team member in St. Louis, uh, let's say, just starts right away. We'll have a, a weekly meeting as a team or a once, a, once a month meeting as an entire market. We try to start those meetings talking about our purpose, our vision, and our virtues. Our virtues are our word for values. Uh, it's another podcast a couple of years from now, mm-hmm. uh, but we, uh, we like to be distinctive and talk about who we are. And when we spend time talking about our organizational identity, who we are before what we do, usually the what we do comes more naturally. The behaviors, the actions, the results are an overflow of who we are and really who we aspire to be together as an organization. So okay. super simple answer, but it's difficult yeah. to practice is we spend time talking about who we are and who we want to become. And we do that in creative ways. We do that by asking questions. We do that by hosting conversations, listening and learning from one another. But enough of that allocated time towards who we are and who we want to become individually and collectively, uh, we start to become like each other in all the admirable ways we, we hope to do. Great answer, Chris. I mean, my takeaways are don't take it for granted that um, people uh, – and even leaders, you know, know all the nuance of, of, of culture, like remind yourself of it um, and be deliberate and have some discipline around how you're constantly having a cadence around values, virtues of our organization. I think that's spot on and um, really sound counsel for sure. We've hired a lot re- in the last two years. We've, we've, and we um, what I just realized back in December reviewing the year we have a lot of team members that are not as familiar with our identity, our virtues, as I want them to be. Well, how do I communicate the same stuff in a new, fresh way? So I, I kicked off a, a virtue series where I we have six virtues where I interviewed six of our best that have been with the organization for a decade or more, and they're 15-minute videos, and then I, I uploaded one a week on our Slack channel and said, hey, just a reminder, it's a virtue series. We're going to talk about the virtue of gratitude. This is Matthew. Matthew, what does the virtue of gratitude mean to you? How does it affect your team members? What do you want our teams to know about it? So just constantly having the same conversation in a new and fresh way and not forgetting some of the basics that made us who we are. Awesome. Love it. So, uh, Chris, as we talk about the staffing culture, would it be fair to say that the the default culture would be uh, let's say if if an organization really hasn't been intentional, the default culture would basically be uh, the characteristic of how the the leader, the administrator basically lives out his leadership. Yes, the, the life of the leader, it becomes by default the culture of the organization. So if you have a culture where the, the leader is really siloed in the way that he looks at things, uh, that can be really uh, frustrating for somebody new coming in who really is looking for more of a team presence. Sure. And, uh, you know, you can change culture from the bottom up. The easiest way is from the top down and bottom up, but it usually takes the leaders starting the conversation. How can we build a better culture together? And then ultimately, 
Yeah. So how how would someone that's a part of an organization they're coming in? Well, let's let me just rabbit trail for a second. What descriptors would you say a person could use to evaluate their culture? Mm. Does it need to be uh, family like? Does it need to be interactive? What what words would be a good words to use to evaluate culture? Sure. You know, I like asking open-ended questions first. What words would you use? What adjectives would you use to describe the existing culture? Question two would be what words would you use to describe the ideal culture? Okay, that's tough. Well, think of the three best cultures you know. Forget about industry, family. Who's the best family you know? Who's the be- what's the best nonprofit you know and the best for-profit you know? There we go. Let's just start there. Family, for-profit, nonprofit. Uh, what do they do? Tell me one, one unique thing that each one does. Oh, they spend time together. They care about one another. They're excellent. Uh, they're curious. They're intentional. They're caring. They're, to me, it's, a, it's an adjective conversation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Starting the question with kind of a broad base of, I can't really think. Well, hang on. Forget cultures exist everywhere. You, you and your spouse, your family, your church, your nonprofit, you know, they're all many microcultures. What are the ones you're drawn to? What are the ones that make you feel alive? What are the ones that uh, make you feel the best version of you? You know, so then usually that, that emotional question sparks, I know, I love being on this board, or I love when I walk in this classroom versus this classroom, because that teacher's culture, that administrator's culture, my one-on-one with that boss, that makes me feel uh, you know, the most alive. Well, what is it about it? Well, they ask me questions about myself, or they're curious about my personal life, or they challenge me in an appropriate way that's encouraging and affirming while at the same time uh, aspiring me to do more. So I, I kind of zoom it down to that level and get our hearts excited and then say, all right, well, who do we want to become? What of that do we want? There's, in some ways, there's nothing new under the sun. We're not coming up with a brand new value or virtue that's never been thought of before. What we get to create is the best of that we've observed and put that in our organization. Chris, you all have done an exceptional job with culture and uh, just talent um, as an organization. Are there strategies that you've used with success in kind of wetting the appetite or building a, a funnel of prospects to come into into Booster? I mean, some of our best schools do a really good job of reaching to alum who kind of swam in the pond and obviously have an affinity toward their alma mater. And and I was just in a school in Chicago where a third of their 90 staff are alum of the school. Wow. And um, it's just awesome, right? I mean, they have this pipeline that recurs um, and it's it's really a neat, neat thing. But with, with Booster, I mean, are there partnerships with certain colleges and universities or internships, things that you all have done to start like really kind of leading people to what Booster is to kind of tap into future talent. So we had a lot of that going pre-COVID. We had to unfortunately reboot and start all over because every college, you know, I think every gap, I mean, you could look at uh, even uh, Chick-fil-A, which is known for a great culture, summer camps, man, anyone that has those cultures of, of students to some degree, yep. there's that gap. And because they're so, and we are as well, heavily relied on word of mouth, it's almost like it skipped a generation and we got to start all over again. So that's been challenging. It won't always be as challenging as it is. I think that word of mouth is still the best, empowering our people. I say all the time, who's the best leader you know 
that doesn't work for our organization, regardless of what they do. I'd love to meet them. I'd love for them to hear about it. Here's a lunch we're doing. Here's a community culture event. Invite them to the office. Uh, I want great leaders just to be around them. And, and maybe they don't work for us. Maybe they're a supporting staff, encouragement, mentor, speak on something once a month at a leadership gathering. Um, alumni are is an incredible, you just said it. I think that Chicago's a perfect example because DNA alignment, histories, stories, past successes. Uh, I mean, building an alumni network is not just for fundraising and financial capital. It might be primarily for social capital. Uh, right. It takes decades, doesn't it? And But there's no better time to start than today at building that alumni base, at least planting the seeds. It might be a tree that someone else one day picks the fruit from, but uh, alumni are such an, such an incredible, valuable asset. Uh, and I would echo that. And we have attempted for years and with varying various degrees of success. Uh, mm-hmm. Now we're starting to have some alumni nieces and nephews, even an alumni kid or two. My my kids and you know about to graduate high school. They're going to college, so alumni is uh, is definitely a great base. Word of mouth seems to be our most effective. Okay. It's easy to click buttons and send stuff out to ten thousand people, but in terms of actually selecting the best talent. Trust is transferred relationally uh, more than it is digitally, so we we rely on that. But we also want to have an online presence as well. Who sure. who bring us from wherever? Mm-hmm. And it's basic. Where I clicked on this, I saw the social media post. I was interested. In. So awesome. of course, we want to select, not just hire great talent. We want to have a rigorous selection process that attracts the best best talent we can find. That's great, what, Chris. Thank you. What about retention? And culture, because, uh, you know, I was just sitting here thinking as you were talking uh, about an administrator who all of a sudden finds uh, staff leaving and the feedback always is, I just don't feel a part of things. Uh, How does the how does culture uh, influence the retention of staff and what do you do intentionally like at Booster to make sure uh, you talked about, well, for the next 10 months, but we'd like you to be here 10 years. How, how do you maintain maybe some momentum toward that kind of retention? There are these career path conversations. We never, when we look back, say we did that too soon and we talked about it too much. If anything, when we make mistakes, it's we should have started talking career path sooner and more often. And it's human nature. I don't think it's selfishness. I think it's just what what's in it for me? What's my part of the story? Sometimes we talk about the whole story or the big picture, the future, the vision, the adventure, and we forget to connect the dots to the characters in the story. You are the character in this grand narrative, and here's how you can play a part in this. My part of the whole, my part of the whole. Sometimes I get caught up in the whole. I forget to connect down to my part. Sometimes uh, talent gets so concerned with their part, they forget to connect it to the whole. A healthy organization is always connecting the dots. My part of the whole. Storytelling is a great way to do that. What gets celebrated gets reproduced. That's a phrase we use all the time. If we see something doing something great, hiring someone great, a new hire, someone staying on, hey, you're at 10 years, you're at 15 years. We, we, uh, we just have actually today our fourth team member is about to leave for a month sabbatical after 15 years. So we want to awesome. celebrate David. We talk awesome. about a secret. You've worked for Booster for 15 years, uh, and he's uh, 38. I mean, he's not 60. Wow. That's rare. We've got follow up. So even that storytelling of let me talk about David, Matthew, Mark, and Daniel. Those 
Those four have worked with us uh, for 15 years. We're going to give them a month off, uh, give them some resources to really enjoy their time uh, and, and uh, you know, come back more refreshed than ever. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's intentional. It's a thank you to them. At the yeah. same time, I don't want to miss the moment to remind a thousand employees that people have been with us for 15 years. You could see yourself beyond just this year or next year as well. So vision casting, storytelling, celebrating what we want to reproduce, celebrating people that have been with the organization for a long time is a great way. Whenever those confetti cannons go off, and I mean that literally for us, we have lots of confetti cannons, but you could that figuratively in some other way. But when those confetti cannons go off, everybody stops and says, what are they celebrating? I want to be part of that. So we want to be intentional to celebrate the right things. As you were looking at those four teammates. yeah, can we get some of those confetti cannons through your spirit gear store so that uh... celebration <laughs> cannons and they're on the way to you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As you were listening, Chris, those four teammates celebrating 15 years, I was thinking they're four booster evangelists right there. Uh, right, yeah. um, that's just awesome. They are. And they have they have recruited probably 30 people each over their over their wow. team. Well, as we start to wrap up, Chris, anything related to organizational health culture and your experience uh, uh, doing this great work that you want to share that we may not have touched on. Thank you. Uh, a must-read book, if this pricks your heart. I get culture, this this topic is maybe not for everybody, or I bored you to death or something, that's fine. But if you're kind of leaning into this conversation, you need to read Pat Lincioni's The Advantage. I don't know if there's a book about organizational health that I've ever read that comes close. So that would be one. Another book I love, my friend Andy Crouch wrote a book called Culture Making. It's a little more intellectual, but he talks about um, culture in a few different senses of the word, not just organizational, but just what is culture big picture, uh, anthropological, and what, what does culture mean? And he really makes the case that cult, we, um, it, he, there's responses to culture. Here, here they are. This is, this is my summary of the book. You're going to either want to read it or feel like you just did after this 30 seconds. Uh, you can criticize culture. You can critique culture. You can condemn culture. All, you know, appropriate responses at different times. But the only way to make culture better, to improve culture, is to create more of it. So instead of just cr- condemning, criticizing um we can create it by cultivating it. So viewing, so what, so then he goes into the rest of the book is what is culture and how do we create it? If we view ourselves as creative creatures that get to create and cultivate, then everything tells a story and narrative and we can design environments and people and structures and meetings and conversations to ultimately, this is what it's all about, bring out the best in others, right? That's what I feel called to do with this one and only precious life that I have uh, how can I impact others? Can I create a culture that brings out the best, truest version of themselves? And if I can do that, I just get to unlock what's already been created by God. I get to create an environment that brings out the best, and that's nothing fulfills me more than doing that. And that doesn't just apply at work. I hope, hopefully I mm-hmm. uh, can do that at home, on the baseball field, in environments that I get to be part of. If I can cultivate <laughs> the right environment and watch others flourish then that brings me tremendous joy. Well, Chris Carniel, thank you so much for being with us today. This has really been rich and we're going to be coming back because there's just so many other places we can go with, uh, with other resources that you can offer to us. Uh, but as, as far as school administrators, if they want to know more about booster and how booster can help 
uh, where can they go? Sure. Choosebooster.com. Choosebooster.com. Elementary, middle school, high school fundraising. We also have booster gear. So spirit wear of any sort, anything with a logo on it that you're uh, school needs, we'd be happy to provide you with that as well. We value customer service, and, but most importantly, we value the work of your hands and the amazing work that you're doing in the next generation. So um, on behalf of, a, uh, of our entire organization, as the son of an educator, God bless you and, uh, and the tremendous work that you're doing. Chris, thank you Chris, so much. Thanks. And uh, Follow to Lead is a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. Uh, for more information about DIA, please visit our website at diaschools.org. And if you haven't done so already, please be sure to follow our podcast and leave a comment to encourage us toward future programming. Uh, we also want to thank our production assistant, Alex Shire, for assisting in the production of this podcast. May Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.